All right. We're on. We're, We're back. back. Everyone, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. I hope you guys enjoyed the first part as much as we did. You know what I mean? And <laughs> <laughs> they did, it was good for us. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we, we all put Definitely revealed that. a lot to Sergio. He's like, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Was, that. That was funny. But uh, no, we've uh, we've covered a lot of your you know early childhood and uh, education, college, I and mean, some wonderful stories. Um, I'd like to dive into your first uh, you know your first job, your uh, first offer is uh, you know going into the uh, you know the political realm. Going into the political realm, my first job. So I had like a lot of kids growing up had a lot of little odd jobs here and there, but I think that the first job job I had was. Uh, Believe it or not, was working as a student professional worker at the Port of Los Angeles. Student professional worker. Student professional worker. Yeah, there was a program, uh, and there still is a program for student professional workers. Uh, but I think it was funded by CETA back in the day, and uh, because my dad was, um, I believe, because my dad was off disabled from the fire department, we were eligible for the job, and so uh, I worked summers at the Port of Los Angeles in nice. construction and maintenance. Wow, how was that? Uh, Great, hands on, right? Uh, yeah, hands on. It was in the, in the back of a work duty truck, and and they would you know drive me to a site, and I would just work on. Uh, my job was uh, landscaping. Oh, wow! And so I did that for a, a couple of summers, uh, and then while I was while I was doing that, I was also um, casualing at um, at a place called Cal Carthage. Oh, yeah. So Cal Carthage was Teamster organized and uh, at, you could come in in the evenings and extra workers were needed and it was a casual type program but it was literally you just stand at the gate and they would just pick you out and you'd come in and you could work and then one night at that job uh, somebody came in and said hey uh, at the unemployment office here in Wilmington mm -hmm. uh, they are uh, hiring folks to work casual longshore this was before the lottery system. Okay. And before the lottery system, there was a, a system where at the unemployment hall, uh, extras would get picked up. Folks could get jobs, get literally get cards, casual cards, for longshore work. On the spot? Gave them On the spot, just gave yes. them away. And so we finished a shift at Cal Carnage. We all hustled over to the, all of us, like 10 or 12 of us, hustled over to the, to the unemployment office here in Wilmington. And, uh, waited in line, and they were calling out your your letter your, of your last name, like M's, and you'd go running forward, and they would uh, give you a yellow card, and they'd write down where, you know, the date, and that was your, your first date to work, and then they would send you out. Wow. And so for the next few summers, I worked casual. Wow. All the what was that experience like? That was a great experience. Yeah. That was great. You didn't get a lot of work, uh, but uh, I remember getting bananas. Uh, back in those days, uh, the banana boats, uh, when the banana boat was in, uh, they were, the, the bananas were actually loaded in uh, boxes. I don't know what they were, 50-pound boxes, 40-pound boxes. Uh, but you would get, you would go down in the hold of the ship, and there was a gravity or conveyor where somebody would, would send you a box of bananas. For 20 minutes, you'd be loading the conveyor, and then for 20 minutes, you'd be putting it on a conveyor belt that would come up out of the ship, and for 20 minutes you go in the corner and sleep with the spiders. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. And so I, did, so I did a few summers of bananas, and a lot of the old timers on the docks remember bananas. 
and then I did also you would get the coal at the coal terminal. Uh, the sort of the lowest level jobs was you could work um, basically just shoveling or, or sweeping up coal that would get dispersed as it was getting loaded. Wow. How old were you at this time? Uh, 18, 19, 20. Wow. And then uh, you slowly ventured into other uh, you know, positions? Yeah, yeah. So then um, after, you know, it's a, it, it, I was always looking for work. <laughs> So it was during law school, you know, I, I had jobs uh, working as a clerk to different law firms. And then at the end of law school, I started my first big job. Which was? An associate at a law firm representing cities. Wow. As city attorney. Wow. Has there ever been a lag in your trajectory where you didn't know what was next? Because it seems like everything has been... <laughs> right after, you know, it's like everything just lined up. Um, no. No. Uh, I, I, I've been very blessed, uh, and I've really looked for opportunities, and I've worked really, really hard, yeah. for starters, uh, to, you know, to be in the best position to do the next thing, to, you know, help, to support my family and to move on in my career because I went from I went from uh, the city attorney work at that firm and I really, really enjoyed it. And then a friend of mine called one time, I just saw her last weekend actually, she called me and said, hey, you should come in-house to the city of Long Beach and you should really learn, Tim, you should learn how to be an in-house city attorney, work for an elected city attorney. And I did that for a couple of years and I really did learn a different kind of practice, and it was really great for my career. But then the firm that I left called me and said, hey, will you come back because one of the managing partners just left, and we, we need a, someone to manage you know, part of the firm, manage a division. So I came back as a manager, and so I learned those skills. Very fortunate to have learned those skills. And that's the place where I met Jim Hahn, and I was able to go into Jim Hahn's office with a skill set of having been in-house before, which is a different kind of law, having been a city attorney before, which is a, it's, it, it's the base skill, and also having managed a law firm. Wow. And so it was, I was really blessed and fortunate, and I think made my own breaks by looking for that next opportunity <clears throat> to show up in the city attorney's office with a set of skills that translated. Yeah. Yeah, all these transitional skills that you attain on your way up there, I, I think they they prepared you in a way to uh, you know open yourself up to these uh, you know, these opportunities. You know, you wouldn't look for work, and lest anyone think this any of this is easy. I mean, you've done a tremendous amount of work to get there, and no one, not everybody sees that, but that prepared you for whatever was coming next. And these little transitional skills and and, and things that you learn at firms were just right. all building up to. Right, that's what I tell my kids, what I tell anybody, any mentee. I've been really fortunate to be have great mentors, and, and I try to be a good mentor to other folks. What I tell folks is, take the job you're in today. It doesn't matter you, you know, what the circumstances are. You could have a terrible boss, you could have really rough clients, you could have insurmountable challenges, but learn. Learn from that experience. Take every single bit of that experience and make it a part of you. And you will take that with you when you go to the next thing. And you will go to the next thing. Yeah. And, and, and I also tell folks, manage your career. 
manage your own career. No one's going to manage it for you. You have to manage your career. If that's what you want, if you want to manage a career, and, and manage it to what your goals are. It, your goal may be to get to the next big thing. Your goal may be to get to something else so I can do another thing in my life. You know, have a family or, or, uh, or change the nature of my life or have a different geographic place to, to, to practice my trade. But manage your own career. It's beautiful. I used to say that to, uh, I used to be a manager for a large beverage company and uh, I used to say that to my employees all the time. Be a manager of your, I mean, your decisions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because the next decision is going to determine where you go next. You know, right. where do you want to see yourself in five years? Where do you plan to be? What steps are you going to take to get there? You know, and, and they, they think I'm trying to uh, get them to move up in this company or, you know, be, be this position. I said, no, no, this, I'm telling you to make you a better person because uh, you're, you're going to take this with you for the rest of your life. And wherever you go, you're going to carry all these things with you. And that's going to be the end result is uh, what you make it. Right, right. You carry those relationships mm -hmm. too. Yeah. It's really important to maintain the relationships that you have. Make sure you treat people with respect. Uh, and you know, I never left a job uh, without knowing I could come back. That's great. <laughs> Always on good terms. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's important. That is great. Um, that's uh, no, that's awesome. I know we covered some of your uh, you know your time with uh, Jim or James James Hahn, and uh, that's great. But um, I want to dive into some of the local issues. Oh, sure. um, you know, for Wilmington, uh, you know we take great pride in this uh, the city. Uh, you know, we grew up. We both grew up here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you on Cary and me on L Street, mm -hmm. and uh, we both had our in, ins and outs of the city, I guess. Yeah. But we've watched it change in ways where. Uh, people have seemed to become more disconnected uh, as far as uh, what's going on in the city. Um, you know, um, for instance, uh, one of the issues is uh, like the homeless. You yeah. know, I know you talked about you know uh, tackling that sort of thing. Um, uh, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse, but uh, some people have a would you say say there's a stigma? I mean, towards homeless people. Uh, you know, people see them a certain way, but I think it just it goes deeper than that. It isn't just uh, you know whether it be you know crime, addiction, or, or anything like that. I think it's more um, more trauma, more more mental. I mean, there's something deeper than that that's that's causing a, a lot of this uh, you know the issue that we're having with some of these homeless people. And I think they should be. It's hard to say. Like you said, it requires care. You need to do it very carefully, very gracefully. But you know, it takes time. It's nothing that's going to be done overnight. But I think. This is what I think. People are looking at homeless, uh, the homeless issue in, in a different uh, retrospect. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think it's, you don't just target it and you do away with it and, you know, that's it. No, it's a, it's a much bigger problem than that. I think we don't focus on the root of, of you know, how they got there. What is the real problem? You know, it, it, maybe it isn't crime. It isn't drugs. It's, it's definitely something else. It's the person. And more awareness needs to be uh, given to the fact of mental health, um, you know, services uh, that, that are offered to, you know, to go to the stem, the root of the problem. Right. right. So, you know, we have tens of thousands of homeless individuals in Los Angeles and hundreds here in our local communities. And I would venture to say that the reasons for homelessness uh, are as varied as the number of folks that are without housing. Yeah. And so there is a whole range of reasons why folks are on the street. And 
I think there. I, I think you're right to say we need to look at the root causes, and a significant root cause is just the, the cost of housing, the cost of living, uh, it, uh, a lack of access to good jobs. I mean, there is a, a growing divide between the rich and the poor in this country, and this region and this community is not immune from that. And, and so there are a lot of folks that find themselves unhoused because of you know, poverty and crisis, and, and that can be the tipping point can be a medical bill or a set of medical bills. It can be just the uh, a loss of a job. It can be uh, housing, you know, rental increases. Uh, uh, but there also are related or unrelated. I mean, we do have a mental health crisis in the United States. And again, we're locally not immune from that. And I think the pandemic has, has caused our mental health crisis to be even more exacerbated. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we have um, a crisis of addiction in this country. I think that the, especially with, with these new manufactured drugs or these more prevalent manufactured drugs like fentanyl, yeah. I yeah. think we find ourselves sort of uh, accelerating the addiction problem in the United States. And so I think that the, the, there is no simple solution to solving homelessness, but sort of attacking the problem begins with making sure that folks are in housing, can stay in housing, mm -hmm. and creating opportunities for folks to be able to recognize who may be at risk and to do those interventions, whether they're government or private, uh, those interventions to keep folks into housing. And when folks find themselves on the street, I think that just being in the, on the street can lead to greater physical health problems, mental health problems, and addiction problems if you don't already have them. And it's incumbent upon the city and the county to work together well, better than we do today, to make sure that we have folks who can provide services where folks are at um, unhoused. And those services on physical health, mental health, drug addiction services, and work with folks to get them in. I'm very uh, uh, proud of the difficult decisions we've made to build shelter and to create opportunities for transitional housing and permanent supportive housing. I mean, those are tough decisions that this area, that this district have embraced, but we need to make sure that we have the resources and the tools to avail ourselves of those, of those beds and to get folks in. And the tough part is if you're out on the street and you have mental illness or if you have drug addiction challenges, you have great difficulty in trust and in just having the capacity to say, yes, I want to come in. Have you hit rock bottom yet? And are you ready to come in? We've got to work with folks to get them in. And it's this answer to this is going to be one by one by one by one until we address the problem that exists today, but then also systemically look to keep people in their housing to make sure that folks have jobs, that the jobs are well paid, that, that the housing is safe and secure, that folks who suffer from the, the you know, crime of domestic violence, for example, that we have alternatives for those folks to go live in safety but not, and, and not on the street. So it's a, this, we were talking about this at the break, yeah. very, very complicated, nuanced issue and we need to give each other credit for being able to understand that it's a nuanced issue that we need to remain focused on, and it's, there's no one-size-fits-all, and there's no simple solution. Yeah, yeah. I think a big part of it, too, is 
a lot of these people that you guys are providing the help for need to want to make the change mm -hmm. and want to help themselves. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, there's been pro there's always been programs for the homeless. Mm -hmm. They just refuse to abide by a certain set of rules and they would rather, you know, figure it out on their own. So it's not it's not a new problem. It's, it's always existed. It's obviously expanded and grown. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's just a matter of will they even accept the help? Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. There's a tough. tough. There's a tough love part to this yeah. too, and the, the tough love part is to if we are if we are building shelter beds, and shelter bed is not the answer for everyone, by the way. There's a lot of folks for whom that's not a great answer. Yeah. But if we're building shelter beds and transitional housing and permanent supportive housing, there comes a point at which we we need to be you know honest. We need to build trust, but be honest with folks and say you have to come in now. You have to come in, and we need to keep our end of the bargain. When you come in, we're gonna, it's going to be a safe place where you can get services. A tremendous amount of, of manpower and resources uh, go into this this type of uh, you know program. Mm -hmm. And um, like you said, uh, you know, a bed might not be the solution for everyone, but nonetheless, these services and resources need to be exercised, and and everything needs to you need to try it because, mm -hmm. like again, this so much ambiguity. That you're dealing with, it's there's no way to pinpoint anything. You just it's all trial. Right, right. And and, I, and what I said, I, I and I, I'm just going to be clear about this. What I said is a shelter bed. Yeah, shelter bed. Might, yeah, you know, a I mean. communal shelter bed might not be the answer mm -hmm. for everyone, but a bed and a roof yeah. and a safe place is the answer yeah. for everyone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's Absolutely. no debating that. You know, one you know one of my concerns, and you know, it's a shared concern amongst friends of mine. We were wondering when all these places open up, mm -hmm. and uh, it's you know it's provide a place for them to sleep and all of this, but they're not going to be allowed to be there throughout the day, obviously, right? Right. It's just for them to sleep there, and you know in the morning they move on. What happens when all these people start falling into the neighborhood? Like, is there going to be more police presence to kind of monitor that? That's you know spilling out into the street. Is there a a plan that's been set for something like this? Well, one of the things the city did, just on the example of the shelter beds, yeah. uh, the city made a commitment to us, the city made a commitment to us, that if we built these shelters, these 100-bed sprung shelters, which are the big tents, uh, that there would be uh, a commitment of keeping the area around the shelter clear, and that there would be um, additional... Um, public safety presence to keep the area safe for various reasons and it's different in different parts of the city uh, the city didn't uniformly keep that commitment there's some areas where where they did but there are many areas where they did not some folks blame the pandemic I'm tired of blaming the pandemic yeah. we just can't keep doing that the reason why it makes sense to keep an area clear around a shelter is that is for that person who is brave enough to come in, it is sort of unfair to keep that life that they're leaving right on the doorstep. It might be a dealer, it might be a bad influence, it might be an invitation to be a, a dual citizen of the outdoors and the indoors. It's not fair to that person. It's also not fair to the community who was promised that if you did this thing, if you said yes, and we said yes many, many, many times across the city, that it would be kept clear. So, yes, there should be greater security, public and private. Right. 
And um, I think there, I think it's also going to be important for us. We've learned the lesson that just having a bed and then emptying the beds out during the day is not a great solution. We really do need to get to more permanent solutions where there are healthy activities, opportunities to learn skills, to get jobs, to take oneself out of this situation. Yeah. Because shelter alone is not the answer. No, I, I agree. I mean, it could solve some problems, but then you have to deal with so many other things. Yeah, temporarily yeah. solve a problem. Temporarily. And uh, could you explain those just by default or however it might have worked out, why there's a lot more of these uh, you know, places being built here than in other cities? Is, that, is there any type of uh, reasoning for that or how that happened? Well, the, when we say these places, you're probably talking about the permanent support yes. housing. Mm -hmm. And so the city passed, we collectively voted to pass a measure to tax ourselves. Again, a generous, compassionate act on the part of the voters uh, to uh, tax ourselves to build permanent supportive housing. And the system uh, relies upon a pot of money from the voters, and then it relies upon private developers, you know, private entities, to find a piece of land and to propose a project and to build that project presumably as cheaply as possible. And so what winds up happening is that folks look for available land that is has a price point that's more affordable. There's nothing affordable in California, <laughs> but a lower price point. Right. And so it, it tends to push more of the projects in one community and not other communities. And I think that's patently unfair for, again, for everybody. You don't want a, 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 a concentration of of these in one area. We want to make sure that we are integrating folks into all of society and that we're sort of putting uh, folks who are without, you know, houseless folks, uh, giving them an opportunity to live in the community they've come from. And so um, I think what we need to do is a, a better job of making sure that we're sharing uh, the, uh, the distribution of permanent supportive housing all across the county. Do you think there's any correlation with uh, the fact that it landed here and correlation with how very, uh, how little people from Wilmington come out and vote and get involved? Um, that is, uh, I'm hoping not. Yeah. I'm hoping not. The other thing that the city did was they, when the system was set up for HHH, that's the one that provided all the money, mm -hmm. and say, a set of rules for building these, it also exempted from um, the environmental review process these types of projects. And they made them non-discretionary projects. So if someone could put together the deal, find the land, make the application, get in line, get their, you know, get their number called in the line, then there were no public hearings. And I think that I think that, that creates a real disadvantage to any community. And I think that what's incumbent upon the government, local officials, is to uh, be upfront and transparent and describe to the community what's happening and give the community a chance to weigh in on the project. It'll still be non-discretionary. It'll still happen in most cases. Yeah. But that'll give the community a chance to say, hey, it's really close to a high school. Uh, where's the open, where's the entrance and exit going to be? How's the lighting going to be? What's the public safety going to be? What are the rules going to be? And I think it's important for us 
to be brave enough as public officials to talk to the community, to get that kind of input, even knowing that the end result may not satisfy folks. But it's going to be more appropriate and more respectful of the community to have that conversation. Making them aware of you know what's happening, what's going on, yep. you know, news, getting them involved. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, it's it probably that's probably going to happen. But hey, here's an outlet, here's a forum where um, this information is going to be given to you. Versus before, you didn't know what was going on. We we're giving you a, a, a space to have a voice, yep. and uh, you know, it's input, and um, and that should be every community, yeah. whether it votes a lot or not. Mm -hmm. Should be every community because it's. Uh, and, and I and I say all this, believing that there are reasons why you why you would make some projects easier to get approved than others. If we are really facing, and this is going to be tough for me to say, but this is the sort of the honesty moment. If we're really facing a housing crisis, a homelessness crisis, and we're saying this is the crisis of the day, and we have to strip away those things that stop us from building permanent supportive housing. CEQA, the Environmental Equality Act, and hearings and appeals and lawsuits are just the type of thing that you would set aside to say, we're going to actually build these things and we're going to build them on time and we're going to build them as fast as we can. So I understand the public policy reason why we do it, but that doesn't mean that we don't talk to the community. Is there currently a platform that would let people know or is there somewhere where people can go to be informed of these things or it just non-existent? No, there is. There are um, there are uh, uh, systems at the city that keep track of HHH projects, and so it can be found. You know, because folks have to apply for HHH funding. Mm -hmm. and if you know they're applying for the funding, if you, if one were uh, were to know that where they are in the queue, where they are on the line, whether they got approved, then you'd be able to go back then and see the address and know where it's happening. Um, but that's a lot of work. Yeah. So someone, uh, just say, like myself, you know, I, I live here in Wilmington. If I wanted to know what was going on, what new buildings or establishment or shelters were being built, um, can I go on a website somewhere or, or can somewhere? Yeah, it'll be it'll be online. Okay. Yeah. Or you can elect me and I'll tell you. Uh, okay. <laughs> there you go. A lot easier, right? <laughs> I think that's the answer he was fishing for. <laughs> I think it's important to track these, to track projects, and to have the community be aware of where the projects are. I think that um, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like there aren't folks in the community who, who uh, are tracking these things. I mean, I think the neighborhood council does a nice job of, of following these, in as much as they have information available to them. There are other activist groups, but I think it'd be really, really important for to raise the level of awareness for all of these projects. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to say. The, the level of awareness where, you know, people, uh, I mean, it's sad to say, but a lot of people aren't don't feel involved, don't want to get involved, uh, you know, don't want to go and do the work, and don't want to find things out. Like you have to go searching for a lot of these things. Uh, resources, for instance, free resources for the community. They're there for people. They just don't want to look. And it goes the same with finding out information about their community. They, they don't know where to look, they don't know where to start, and you know sometimes these things need to be broadcasted in a way where, hey, here's what's going on. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I, can I make a little, a little uh, commercial for some of the great organizations in Wilmington that are making folks, are, are working really hard to make folks aware? I mean, you have Rotary, you have the, the Resource Center, you have you know other 
really fine groups that put on these events where they have literally have resource fairs yeah. and bring out you know the uh, Providence Wellness Center well they'll bring out um, all of the resources that are available invite folks to come it, it'll be language appropriate so that so that folks linguistically can have access to resources and information and we what we need to do is work together to make sure that those good acts are well publicized that folks understand them I think it's important for the council office to support those activities and just raise the uh, level of awareness because there are resources available and I think you're right it can be so confounding that uh, that folks stop looking or stop trying but there are really really good folks out there who are knocking themselves out to bring awareness of resources yeah. oh, I'm sure and, and I'm not knocking them but um, there there are probably things maybe we can do yeah. to help them mm -hmm. uh, we can collaborate and help them you know get the message out there or get news yeah. to what's going on locally yeah. in the community it would help a, a lot of people yeah. and we uh, have a great we have a great YMCA here yeah. and the YMCA will do uh, Yolanda Della Torre and her crew will do a great resource fair um, the same is true of a number of really well-intentioned you know hard-working groups and maybe it's a matter of getting them on the show Sure. And talking about it, and I think it's also important for the council office to amplify their efforts and make sure that as many people as possible, you know, understand where the resources are and how to access them because it just really improves the lives of everyone if folks can have access to healthcare, access to you know, literacy programs, access to food, yeah, uh, etc. Or maybe even attacking, or I don't say attacking, but uh, maneuvering your way into the distraction. Or some, or you know, a facet where people lose themselves, and that's social media, uh, for instance. Um, making announcements, you know, making these colorful or, or appealing announcements that are very simple to the point, but they notify and aware people what's going on. Because, you know, let's be honest, uh, not a lot of people like to jump on their computer and find out what's going on in their community. Right. But if it's in a lane where they navigate, you're going to put it right in their face. You mm -hmm. find every avenue of, of every point of communication, and you put it out. Yeah, it's got to be tailored to a certain demographics because different people pay attention to different things. And if it's not in their wheelhouse, it's going to go right over their heads. One of the things I, we've been talking about, and I think I even talked about it that, that night at Ancien when, when we met, right. is it, would make, it, it, it might be a great opportunity for us to take all of these groups who know one another and work with one another, and maybe there are some other groups who are less connected to those groups like neighborhood watches uh, east and on the east side and the west side yeah. and bring together on a weekly basis just a forum where the neighborhood watches the our great neighborhood council our you know fantastic uh, nonprofit groups like the y and the rotary and and providence all come together in one virtual room for the time being but hopefully soon in the same room where it's really just going around the table and saying, here's what we're working on. Here's where our, what our next event is. Here's what our next resource fair is. And just make sure we have this almost like a coordinating council. I like that. And it's not like anyone's in charge, but someone's facilitating it. And all of these, all of the good works of these groups can be amplified and they can support one another. And I really think there's a lot of benefit, particularly when you think of neighborhood watches. Neighborhood watches are the eyes and the ears in the community, uh, and that if they were able to link together, they could help us, you know, put together patterns of unhealthy behavior 
uh, and respond to things like illegal dumping or loud noises or, you know, God forbid, violent acts. Yeah. And so I'd like to pull something like that together. That's great. That's a great collective effort of people who can make a difference. And uh, I'm a huge advocate of a 311 app. I use it religiously. Good for you. Uh, for dumping, for furniture, potholes. For, I, I'm, I just, I'm very, uh, I guess Jess likes to call me tech savvy, but <laughs> I, I'm into everything. And I like to use those things uh, to their fullest potential to make a difference in the community. And uh, that's that's what I like to do out here, and, and that's one thing that I, I'm, I think I'm going to start encouraging people, our listeners, to do that. You should uh, utilizing your three one app. It's an easy, efficient way. That, you know, if you can if you can post something on Facebook or Instagram, you can definitely do this, and it requires nothing. Just putting information and taking a photo, and everybody likes taking photos. It's an app that's designed yeah. to be able to inform the government of any kind of service that's needed out there, and and I would also say that. Reporting, I mean, there are so many needs. Awesome. And reporting the same crack or the same broken hydrant many times puts it at the top of the list. And so the idea of using that app, like your, you know, voting, <laughs> is really, really important. And getting the community to use the app is really, really an important. It's an important tool for us. It is very important. It makes a huge difference. Uh, you know, when I came to take care of my mom, um, I the the the, home, the encampments on uh, on Mahar and, and by Blinn, uh, the, you know these, these trucks, the alleys, yeah, yeah, with expired tags and beds, and I call all that stuff in within a week is taken care of, and they sent me a confirmation to let me know it's done, it's been closed, and there's any notes thing to put in there. It's a great app. It's it's very intuitive and very user friendly. I think that's a beautiful segue to concentrate not only on the things that are not working, but on the things that are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's a different perspective, like. Listen, we got a lot, long way to go before we figure everything out. <laughs> There's some things that are working. Why not more of that, you know? In, sure. In a different aspect, you know? Sure. The attention is on something else. So. Too often in government, when the new administration or the new council member or the mayor comes in, they, the, the individual will have an urge, I'm not calling out anyone in particular, but they'll have an urge to take all of their fresh ideas and say, we're going to wipe those, wipe everything out and start over. <laughs> Uh, or, or or not embrace something because it wasn't their idea. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right. What we need to do is we need to make sure that we are embracing the stuff that works, improving the things that can work but are kind of broken, and then blowing up the things that don't work. Yeah. Exactly. That experience, just something as simple as a three-one app, yeah. uh, you know, it's a resource. Uh, we can do something as easily as make it available and put in people's faces, and it'll just, it can blow up. And it's, it's a little, maybe a little project I like to do. I don't know. You know, yeah, I like it. Yeah. I'd like people to look at the free one one app and use it and then give responses on what's missing. I've heard a couple of, I've, I've heard a couple of times folks will say, I went on the three one one app and it didn't do the following. It, it didn't, you know, here's the problem that I faced and it didn't allow me to enter, to enter a complaint about it. And I can't remember what the circumstances were now. I wrote down some notes, mm-hmm. but I want to make sure that we're continuing to refine and improve the, the 311 app. 311 began as a phone, a phone call. Yeah. It's one yeah. call at City Hall. You know, and then with the advent of, of apps and, and the sort of the proliferation of the internet, which I think is probably going to take off someday. <laughs> uh, it became, you know, it more, more frequently used as the app than the, the phone call. Yeah. I think, you know, a couple times where I got mixed up and I've tried to introduce it to people, you know, my brothers, and uh, they had trouble 
geographically pinpointing the uh, location because it asks you for a location and the street and the cross street. And, uh, you know, it's a couple of issues there, but I think like the more people play with it, the more easier right. it becomes. It's, it, it'll be great. And, right. uh, you know, I, I'd like to make that a personal project for me. Good, good. Perfect. Yeah. I will, I will rely on your advice and counsel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, anything that we can do to, to help, uh, you know, we're, we're more than willing to, and, you know, we have fun doing this just out of, as a passion project and, uh, it can be used for many things, you know, it's, not just boxed into one thing it's you know we're just trying to you know move uh, forward forward thinking and bring new perspectives to people you know uh, that we yeah. grew up with that are in, that live in our cities whether we know them or they're not we share the city so you know it, it couldn't it would behoove everybody to try to be a little bit more involved and care care I think that's right yeah. I think that and I understand uh, and can sympathize with folks um, losing hope I'll give one example, the trucks driving through yeah. town. It's terrible. It's terrible when trucks are off route and driving through residential neighborhoods. And I think it's important for us at this time when we're going to have a transition to a new mayor, we're going to have a transition to a new council member, we're going to have new you know, new regimes. This is a time for us to, to, to pick up those pervasive issues that haven't been solved, that have been tough to address for years and years and years and recommit ourselves. I really, really have been, I've been speaking in every single community in the district about how important it is going to be to address the issues in Wilmington of truck traffic, of the effects on our air, the effects on our infrastructure, the effects on our streets from the port activities. It's really direct and indirect activity of the port and all of this commerce that destroys our roads and hurts our infrastructure and impairs our, our neighborhoods, and we need to hold the port accountable. Yeah. And I'm going to need everybody's support on that, because it'll be a tough fight, but it'll be a fight worth winning. And it is a winnable fight to make sure the port is addressing and mitigating the impacts that it has on this community. Yeah. I think that's, that's you're absolutely right. The, the, you know, the trucks and, and the people that you know, hang out around the port, wherever, wherever it is they come from, and they, you know, they get moved from one area, they seem to pile up, you know, in Wilmington somewhere, around Greenbelt yep. Park, and it just makes the city just really cluttered, makes the streets ugly, it's just, it's not a very, it's not a nice thing to look at, uh, you know, and yeah, you're right, just not, the port needs to be held accountable, but, uh, you know, other services that deal with these types of issues, because it, it all, it all plays a part. It's all, we're all part of the city and, uh, you know, the more we put more attention on it, uh, we can do little things, but the one little thing on top of another and another, it, it will add up and eventually there will be some change. Mm -hmm. That will also lead to having more people interested in investing here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, businesses and, you know, but, you know, the, the, you drive around Wilmington, it's, there's certain areas that are kind of scary, you know, and, and you know, who's going to want to dump money here and invest in something? And yet we have we have the so many great uh, so many great pieces of infrastructure you know here in Wilmington. I mean, look at just one example: Avalon Boulevard. Avalon is such a beautiful street. Yeah, right. It's wide and it's beautiful, and the buildings are are beautiful and underutilized. Um, and it, we have a real opportunity if you know as we take care of this, these other environmental harms and as we as we eliminate the truck traffic and clean the air. And you know, deal with our crime issues. Uh, we have a real opportunity 
to invite investment and create economic opportunity for locals in a place in a place like downtown Wilmington, right along the Avalon corridor. Yeah. I remember you had mentioned that, like outside seating restaurants and yeah, and I mean, yeah, that would that would be, be a great. pleasant change. Yeah, that would be a pleasant change. I mean, we always have to drive out to other cities yeah. too. You know, can you imagine that? I mean, the the chambers looking at this, and I know that the current council office is working on this, so I want to give credit where it's due. Right. Uh, but the opportunity to bring home uh, a business improvement district, where we have landlords, many of whom are absentee, but landlords contributing to a fund because it's good for their property values and it's good for all of us where we can make those types of improvements like more landscaping, more street cleaning, more security, and outdoor dining platforms with nice lighting uh, and nice ambiance and then foot traffic creates more safety and then more true foot traffic creates opportunities for folks to say, hey, I want to sell shoes and books and toys to those folks and so folks will invest and you know, open shops and add to the add to the folks that are you know currently doing retail on Avalon now. Yeah. And good for them, but I'm sure everybody benefits as we build up more shopping experiences, more dining experiences. Yeah. Sky's the limit. Yeah. Sky's the limit. The potential's there. It just you know, what I mean, uh, got to get people involved. And you know, what Wilmington has a really dedicated local community that loves Wilmington. You guys yeah. love Wilmington, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Are you, are you ever gonna leave? Well, um, that's yeah, possibly, but you uh, know what I mean. Like this is don't. This is, uh, <laughs> I'm going to open a uh, nonprofit here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the point being, I didn't even put you on the spot by yeah. asking whether you ever leave, but but you know, sort of a you need a one needs in any community sort of a a dedicated you know uh, set of you know local folks who are committed to the success of the community, yeah. and we have that here. We just need to bring the other tools to bear so that we can realize our dreams. Yeah. Or uh, I like that. I mean, having those people uh, that have history here that are successful, uh, have them lead by personal example. Mm -hmm. And to show, hey, look at look at what they've done. Look at how long they've been here. Uh, look at their history and, and what they've done to get there. Anyone can do it. And it will empower the, you know, the rest of the community to try and do the same or something different. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Yeah, yeah. And and we you know, we have the building blocks of all that. We, we have like these iconic places like Los Tres and Alcien yeah. and Maya. <laughs> we can just keep building on that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. That's all good stuff. I mean, uh, you covered a lot of great points. Uh, you know, some tough some tough questions, tough answers. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, I really like what you have to say. I really um, you know I like what you what you stand for. And uh, like I said, I've done a little bit of research on you, but. Um, Great conversation, had a great time. It was a pleasure to have you on here and, and to meet you and Sergio as well. Um, you know, thank you again for uh, coming out here and uh, you know taking the time for us. We really appreciate well, it. Thanks for spending a little time with me. It's Tim, good. if you would just like to leave people with one last thought, uh, you know, to motivate them to get out there and you know, when it comes time to voting, get involved and you know, do the right thing. What would that be? Thank you. What it would be is that. I have spent the better part of my life thinking about if I had the opportunity, if I could take all of my experiences and all of the opportunity, because I've been blessed with great opportunity, if I could take all of the opportunities and all the lessons that I've learned, what could I do to give back to the city of Los Angeles, a place that's been so great to me and my family, a place that needs to be able to sustain uh, 
healthy and happy lives for my kids and my grandkids and your kids and your grandkids and their kids and their grandkids. I would be honored if folks gave me the opportunity at this stage of my life and my career to serve. I'd be honored. You got my vote. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I've had a lot of fun today. Thank you so oh, yeah. much. This one a lot better than I expected. Really? Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. You had no expectations for me. No, no, no. no no expectations of us but, for having But what I really yeah. want to know is what are the chances of getting a Nobu in Wilmington? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll get right back to you. The shoot for the stars. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, thank you again. Yeah. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, had a wonderful time. Um, you know, thank you guys. Thank you. Yeah. And like I said, this platform is open uh, whenever you'd like to, you know, introduce somebody or bring somebody else to your work. We're open to having people on. This I appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks, Thanks so everybody. Much. All right. Uh, the Neighbor Podcast, uh, right. episode 22. That's right. All right. Thank you, everyone.